Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. I did have a little bit of fun this week. I asked a number of people, why did Jesus get baptized? Why did Jesus get baptized? We'll get into that a little bit later. But just to give us some background in this, there had not been any prophets from God for some 400 years. No prophetic voice, as their history had told them it had been, where God would speak directly through his prophets to his people. And now, obviously, there was a prophet on the scene. His name was John. He was called John the Baptist. And John was a miracle baby. And an angel had told his father that he and his wife would have a child. They were far past uh, childbearing years. They were going to have a son. They would call him John. So John was born into a priestly line, so he could have followed up in that and been a religious leader. But John instead went out into the wilderness to preach. The Jewish people at this time were under Roman power. And the Romans granted the Jewish people a lot of concessions, but it has been said that even gracious bondage was still bondage for them. And there was a lot of oppression, and they were waiting for the Messiah to come and set them free. So John was out there, and he was very strangely dressed, of coarse caramel hair, uh, clothing, and a leather belt. Same clothing that had been born, worn by prophets in the past, especially worn by the prophet Elijah. And it had been told through God's word that Elijah would return as a forerunner to the coming of God's uh, promised Messiah. Was God visiting his people at last after all these years? Was the age of the Messiah's coming about to begin? Were they living in the last days? Questions we ask too, aren't they? Is Jesus coming soon? Are we living now in the last days? I don't have time this morning, but if you're interested in a deeper study, if you can get one of those Bibles where it has down the side, in the margins, uh, just in very small print, but verses that will take you back to the Old Testament, to Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah, the Lamentations and into the Psalms. God is a promise maker, And God is a promise keeper. Those are the words of Graham Cook. A promise maker, a promise keeper. And everything that God had been saying down through all the ages, down through his prophets, was now about to happen. So John was drawing large crowds. He had a following of his own disciples. He was popular even though his message was a hard one. He was saying, one is coming, so repent And don't just say it. It has to be more than lip service. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented and turned to God. John doesn't mince any words. He goes on to say, don't think you're safe because you are in a religion. If you decide not to repent and be baptized, there is an ax that is already poised at the root of the tree that is not bearing fruit for God. And he's saying, is that you? And he adds, and we're going to come back to this, he says, as you repent and come back to God, I will baptize you with water. But there's one who's coming who's so much greater than I am. He will baptize you 
with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he will clean up the threshing area. And he will separate the wheat from the chaff. And in those days, they would throw it up in the air. And they would keep the wheat and the chaff would fall to the floor of the threshing area. And I need to explain, take a moment to say what repent means. In the Greek, repentance simply means to change one's thinking. Change your mind. In the Hebrew, it meant to return. And we read so much in the Old Testament where the people would stray from God, they would repent and return to God. Repentance, changing our minds, changing our thinkings, thinking and returning back to God. And it was a theme throughout the Old Testament, and they did immerse in water, and there's evidence of immersion pools back through history. Also mentioned here that the crowds were being very much watched uh, by the, um, the leaders of the Roman Empire and also the Tetrarch of Galilee. They were getting very nervous. And that's in the history books, not just our Bible. Josephus, a great historian of that day, said that uh, the popularity of John was starting to worry the, the leaders because they were afraid that it was going to become a revolt. They were so large. And in those crowds as well, you had the religious leaders, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were there too, thinking, who is this man? What is he preaching? What's he up to? So crowds and crowds of people listening, but more than that, responding. I quote, the prophets had said that God would come back when the people repented, turning to him with all their hearts. That was what John was telling them to do. But they knew in their bones that they were not ready for God to come back. I'd like to land on that for just a moment. They knew in their bones they were not ready for the Messiah. Think of Jesus' return this morning. What if he came back or we are to meet him before this service is over? before this day is over, do we know in our bones that we're okay with him or not? So I picture the crowds lined up, John there in the River Jordan baptizing. One by one, they step into the water, they go up to John, and they know that he means it. So I imagine he asks them, have you repented? Do you mean it? Don't let it be lip service. And when they say yes, he baptizes them into the water and brings them back up. And then the next one, the same question, baptism, and one after another after another. And then the next one is John is all ready to say, have you repented? And he looks, and he's looking into the face of Jesus himself. I can't even imagine John's emotions. He must have been horrified. I'm sure he wanted to say, Jesus, I wasn't talking about you. I was trying to talk to the crowds. And I try every week as best I can to be very much convicted by what I'm teaching on a Sunday morning. And when I'm not, I know I've got too much of Thelma in there and not enough of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus leading the message. In the same way, I can picture John being very burdened by his own words, realizing his own needs to repent before God and mean it, saying in his own heart, have you repented? Do you mean it? And I can't, couldn't help but wonder, when Jesus came into that water and wanted to be baptized by John, did John just automatically want to say, I repent, Jesus. Will you please baptize me? 
But Jesus says, no, I need you to baptize me. A friend of mine in my previous church had a testimony, a wonderful one, that she shared a couple of times with our congregation. She said that when she was baptized, she came up out of the water, and she said that Jesus was the one who brought her up, had his arm around her, and she looked into his face. I can't imagine. Not too many of us would have that testimony. But I do believe her. She's a wonderful, deep Christian. And she would laugh and she'd say, I know what my pastor looked like. And it wasn't the pastor. It was Jesus. But Jesus insists that John baptize him because he said we must carry out all that God requires. That's how it is in the New Living Translation. Um, in some translations it says we must fulfill all righteousness, all that is right before God. And then picture it, because we read it so quickly, and many of us are familiar with this, this passage. Jesus comes up out of the water, and the very heavens are ripped open, and the Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove and lights on Jesus, settles on him, it says. And if that's not enough, then a voice comes out of heaven and they can recognize this is my beloved son, it says. He brings me great joy. My son, I love him. I'm so pleased with him. What a moment for John as well. Can you imagine the confirmation of everything he had been preaching? One so much greater than I is coming, and God has just spoken it right out of the heavens. To give us just a moment of humor, we pastors often wonder how best to wrap up a message, and I'm sure you want to say to us sometimes, learn to, to read the clock and stop talking. <laughs> but we wonder sometimes how to summarize, how to bring it into people's lives so they have something to take away, to use in their lives. Imagine the end of today's service and a booming voice coming in here saying, what she just said is absolutely correct. Listen and go and live that way. And if by any chance you were distracted and not listening to me, don't ask me to repeat it, because if that ever happens, I'm going to be face down on this platform in worship. But what a confirmation for John. I know baptism is not comfortable for many people. Someone seeing a baptism for the first time, it can be quite shocking, actually. Those of us who have seen it, been through it, we love it. We love the reverence. We're thrilled to see someone making that commitment, going into new life. But there are so many reasons, so many excuses not to do it, to keep putting it off. We want to say repentance, reliance on God. We're used to relying on ourselves. We're used to making our own plans and making them work out. And going into the waters of baptism and saying publicly that our lives are under new management now, that we're going to be following Jesus from now on, that's not easy to do. But if anybody had a reason not to do it, surely it was Jesus. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? So as I was preparing this week, I asked a number of people what they thought. And the thinking caps went on, the wheels started to turn, I even got emails and some long emails, and I'm so appreciative of the research that people did and the responses that I got. 
Because Jesus in Scripture is so open to our investigation and our questions, and he loves it when we dig and dig until we can understand. And wherever we're into the Scripture, just a reminder to ask the Holy Spirit to open his word, and he will. So some of you who have been doing that and looking at that question, you're wondering, what's she going to come up with this morning for some answers? Well, they're not my answers. They come out of the commentaries. And I come to you with eight that I found out of the commentaries. Number one was Jesus' obedience. Quote, a step of obedience that indicated the whole way Jesus' life was going to go from that moment on. That's why Jesus heard that voice from heaven telling him his father was pleased with him. A step of obedience. Jesus' obedience to his father for the rest of his life. Number two, he did it out of humility. Jesus entirely without sin. No sinful acts. Not even any sinful motives. It had to have been hard for Jesus. Humbling for him to humble himself, to walk into that River Jordan and ask John to baptize him. Number three, it was a confirmation, as I just mentioned, of John's teaching, confirmation of God's plan and his promises. God had said that his spirit would come. He would rescue those who would repent. John had been preaching it. The skies had opened. The spirit had descended. The voice had spoken. Now John would proudly proclaim a new message. The Messiah has come. In one email, someone said to me, John was in at that point. Jesus the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John would preach. And he would encourage people now to follow Jesus. Number four is a big one. Jesus identified himself with us, God's people. He is saying, and again I quote, for now I must humble, humbly identify myself with God's people by taking their place sharing their repentance, live their life, and ultimately die their death. Trust me with this, because it will all unfold. End of quote. This was all before the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, as some of us know, before any teaching that Jesus did, before any of the miracles, before he went on to be crucified, to rise again, to be seen, to sit and eat with hundreds of people, to have him teach them what it was all about, to see him return to, their fa to his father before their very eyes. That day in the Jordan River, no one could even see or imagine what was still to come. It was the first step of the journey. But Jesus was identifying with us, God's people. So number five, another commentary said Jesus was putting himself in our shoes. He had come to bear our shame. And this biblical commentary describes it as two bookends. And this is the first bookend, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the other bookend will be the shame, our shame, that he took on himself on the cross. Excuse me. Number six, this was the anointing of the anointing in the form of a dove, lighting on Jesus, anointing Jesus through whom salvation would come. Number seven, we need to say it again, a fulfillment of the prophecy, God's promises, same words that we've read and can read back in Isaiah and Jeremiah in the Psalms, God himself confirming through his own word. 
And then number eight, the opening of the heavens. God's spirit coming upon Jesus were giving evidence that Jesus had come to earth, God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, his people. So those were the eight that I found in the commentaries. And yet for all of it, I was discussing it with Micah, and I said, I still can't help but feel there's an element of mystery. And somebody said that in an email as well. An element of mystery, and I love the mystery of God. We cannot put God into our small minds. That mystery that I hope someday Jesus will just explain to us in eternity, but I do love the mystery. So what can all of this mean for us? This is a beautiful scene. Jesus is baptized. We have some reasons why. But what does it mean? Does Jesus' baptism make any difference for us as we go from here out into Monday tomorrow? As I sat with this this week, I thought about Jesus' obedience to his Father's will. We know that Jesus got up every morning before daybreak and went out to talk to his father. So he must have gotten his instructions for the day every morning from his father. And Jesus was fully human and fully divine, still part of the mystery. But I wonder what the father told the son that morning. What did God tell Jesus that morning? Did he say, son, go to the river Jordan and let John baptize you. For the fully human Jesus, I wonder what the response was in his heart. And I don't know if Jesus had any idea when he did that in obedience, took that walk to the river, waited with the crowd, waded into the water. Did he have any idea that the skies were going to be opened? that he would hear his father's voice saying, Son, I'm pleased with you. Can we learn something from that obedience this morning? When we ask our father, and when he gives us instructions of what he wants us to do and where he wants us to go, when we do what he says, he is pleased. When we act in obedience. Be thankful, those of you who have heard the approval from your parents over the years. Many people have not. But we can realize this morning when we are in obedience to God and in relationship with him, we have his approval. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's an, a delight. And he delights in us. It's a joy we don't want to miss as we live each day. Well, we hear this morning as well that we have choices. God has given us free will. Someone brought to my attention years ago regarding the temptation that it, if Jesus had given in to that, it would have been very, very different. I read it again in the commentary, and I quote, Jesus could have opted out at any time, at the baptism, at the wilderness testing that we'll talk about next week, at the time when so many of his disciples walked away from him, in the garden, the night before he went to the cross, and yet he continued to say, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Will we choose a constant, obedient trust in God? We have a choice in that. And will we repent? Will we change our minds? Will we turn back to God? Maybe you've never done that. Will you this morning? Jesus was baptized himself, and his last instruction before he returned to the Father 
was for us to go out and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you're not baptized, if you haven't made that step to accept Jesus into your life, I pray that you will do that. But many of us here have been baptized. But what about repentance? An ongoing repentance, a sincere repentance. I don't have this, the source. As I took out a Bible to use for John Sullivan's service this week, I found this quote in the front of my Bible. It said, Christians who have never known repentance, Christians, it's hard to think about, but Christians who have not known repentance are like butterflies who have never flown. Imagine a beautiful butterfly on the ground, not able to fly. One is coming, John said, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will separate the chaff from the wheat. He'll clean up the threshing floor, and he will gather the wheat to burn up the chaff. We can't skip over that quickly either this morning. There is judgment. There will come a day when what we decide here on earth about what we are going to do with Jesus in our lives will have eternal consequences. I believe that with all my heart. There's an urgency around that for all of us, that people come to know the Lord. And if you don't, please ask the Holy Spirit, and he will just draw you to know Jesus. Just that one request, and Jesus will meet you right there, and you'll be living in the kingdom when you say yes to him. But I believe it's daily as well. When we wake up in the morning, can we say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Would you guide me through this day? And he will. When we don't know what decisions to make, when we don't know how to face the circumstances of our lives, when we need comfort, when we need strength, the Holy Spirit is there, closer than the breath that we breathe. Jesus has promised us that. And he gives us the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we get to tap into. And we can live our day that way. And then we can, when we come to the end of the day, there is the prayer of exam. And I'm not really sure. It's pronounced in a couple of ways, E-X-A-M-E-N. But to me, it's exam. And the prayer of exam. And Lord, how did I do today? Reveal it. I can tell you some of it. You were there. But show me even those things that I don't want to look at. Or show me some of those things that I don't even realize I did things that hurt you. Can we lay them out, Lord, before I go off to sleep? Because I want them forgiven, cleaned up in my life, so I can know forgiveness and peace. The wheat and the chaff and the fire, he wants to clean up our lives every day, ongoing. He wants to burn off the dross, purify us in that fire, refiner's fire, so that we can be like precious gold, so pure. All of this from the scripture of Jesus' baptism, because Jesus wants it to make a difference in our lives. And what came to me personally, so I share it with you, um, use it as you will, I don't really hear Jesus saying, go into the waters of baptism. I hear Jesus saying, come. Come. I am here. I am calling you to come. 
I recognize your need of me, even in your independent thinking that you can do it your way. Come, even with the mess of your life. Come and bring to me that place that is empty. Even though you might have so much, you know there's something that still needs to be filled. Will you come and let me fill that? Will you come and be forgiven and know the peace of that, the freedom of that? Come and receive my love. Come and let the heavens open for you. Come and hear your father's voice saying, he's pleased, pleased. Come into the waters of baptism on a daily basis and walk the rest of your life in relationship with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so overwhelmed that you would ever say to us, come, walk beside you every day, all day, knowing how much you love us, knowing how much you long to have us beside you, knowing your forgiveness, your grace, the freedom, the joy of relationship with you. Touch our hearts here this morning, God, that we don't miss that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.